Golden State may surprise some people early on. They've got a, there's a nice feel about this group. And they have continued to move the ball. Another night of 30-plus assists for the Warriors. The buzzer sounds, and preseason is over. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Jamat Maslela is our guest, and that's how you pronounce it. You'll hear it from the man himself in just a moment. Hi, Tim Roy. Welcome to the Warriors podcast, and we're going to be talking to Jama about his job as the director of player development for the Golden State Warriors and an assistant coach on Steve Kerr's staff and his life journey to becoming a Warrior. It's an incredible conversation. We recorded this in Los Angeles on the eve of the start of the regular season. I know you're going to like this. He's a guy with tremendous energy and I think he's going to really prove to be a great addition to the Golden State Warriors and to Steve Kerr's coaching staff. Hi, Tim Roy. It's the Warriors podcast, and welcome. First of all, let's get this out of the way so our fans will know. Uh, what is the correct pronunciation of your name? It's a good question. Everyone always asks. Uh, the first name's a little simple, uh, simpler. Jama is an easy way to do that one. Uh, the last name is where it gets more complex. So, Mashalela is the proper pronunciation. Do that last name again? Mashalela. Mashalela. Like That's pretty a, good. Like, like there's an S in there. Yeah, yeah, so in Swaziland, where I'm from, which right. is now the uh, country of Eswatini, that H-L-A is a shla sound, so it has a little ring to it. So it's a little different for North Americans to get, but it's, uh, it's fun. We're, we're kind of on the same path because my name is Roy, but there's a silent E on the end. So while people ask you how to pronounce it, I end up spelling my name about 10 times a day. So. No, it makes sense. <laughs> makes sense. I've heard Royce. Roy, what is, what's, the worst, uh, what's the worst way someone has tried to pronounce your name? Do you remember? Do so, you I mean, one? the worst is that the, you can tell sort of in university, I remember the story where they're sort of doing roll call maybe for your first day of class. And, right. and you know you're getting to your name. Oh. And when the professor just pauses and stops and doesn't even try it, that's when I know I've really got someone in trouble. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I've never thought of that. But I get Royce, I get Royer, I get you know all kinds of stuff. But anyway, uh, so you mentioned Swaziland, and the, the name was changed recently, correct? Yeah, just about two years ago, I guess, must be now, to Eswatini. Um, so, so going back to sort of more traditional name um, from, from sort of the it heritage. It means land of the, of the Swazis. Yes, yes, yes okay. exactly. So, um, you know, our king just decided, which, by the way, we have a king, which is unique in and of itself. Um, and he just decided to go back to sort of a more traditional name than Swaziland was more of a British sort of name. Uh, we were British Commonwealth for many years. So that ended a while ago, and he sort of went to switch back to the African heritage. How long were you there, and when did you move to Toronto? So I was born there. My father uh, is a Swazi, and then my mother's Canadian. Okay. Uh, and I grew up there till I was five, uh, and then made the move to Toronto You know, after that point. Um, and then really, in, in, a, in a very blessed way in my life, I've been able to go back very regularly. I did my junior high school back there. Uh, so Swaziland's remained real close to me, and you know, obviously my whole dad's side of the family is there. So I, I try and go back once a year. For those who might not know, it's a landlocked country. It is uh, bordered by Mozambique on the, like the northeast side and South Africa on the, the southern side, and uh, it's way down there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you need you're, a magnifying glass yeah, to find at the bottom of the continent. You're, you're, you're way down. That's, a, that's a toward Antarctica country. That's, a, that's where that's headed. But uh, uh, you mentioned getting back, and I, I, I wanted to get to this eventually, but since we're, we're on it, let's, let's talk now. So how, you know, how psyched up are you for NBA Africa? Man, uh, it's, it's, it's such a passion of mine, right? And I think all through my own childhood and into my you know, high school and university years, I've always tried to give back on the continent. 
um, and I always try and do. I started with my own little grassroots basketball program. It's called Concrete Hoops, and a bunch of you know young friends from Toronto uh, going back each summer and running basketball programming. And then I did basketball without borders for many many years, uh, and most recently doing Giants of Africa with Masai, who was obviously with the Raptors, um, and and sort of contributing on an annual basis. But but that's all culminated, and with the help of a tremendous group of really talented African coaches, administrators, officials, uh, to get Basketball Africa off the ground. And it's just like the, the league is great, the, the NBA office is great, and it's really cool to see high-level basketball played on the continent. I think we need to get a Warrior bragging rights game for Swaziland, coached by you against Nigeria, coached by Mike Brown. Ooh, I like it. I like it. I'll take I'll take Kaminga on my team from Congo. It will be good. <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay, there you go. But I think it's great because, you know, the one thing that um, people don't realize about the NBA and and, and, and the vision of people like David Stern to make it global and to work with FIBA is that now it's, you know, other than soccer, it's the most played game around the world. And, and uh, you know, uh, you know just, just take Canada. When I was a kid, you know, oh, Mike Smirks in the NBA. Or I was, you know, in my 20s, Mike Smirks in the NBA, Canadian player. Wow, that's cool. Now, how many of them? It's probably 25 Canadians in the, in the NBA. And, and, and I, so I, I, I see that coming down the road for Africa as well. I think we're going to get an influx. Without question. I mean, if you're starting to see it now, if you look at the next probably two to three draft classes and who the names are starting to pop up as sort of, you know, top 10, top 15, top 20 candidates, there's a huge grouping now that are from the continent and have maybe come to sort of a prep school in the States or, you know, the AAU system, but they were born on the continent. And so I agree with you without question that as the game has gotten more global, uh, I think Africa is the place that's going to start to produce some real all-stars and, you know, some MVPs and, and some pretty special basketball players so why no soccer but basketball for you uh you know i i just sometimes the sport just kind of picks you um and and i think when i was kind of in my younger years at least in in toronto growing up um basketball sort of just became the sport that I played and I had this one moment I remember it vividly it must have been in grade five I think it was and I was at this little tournament and I was shooting the ball but able to shoot it from further and further and further back and they actually had no three-point line on the court because it's right. a little elementary school gym and I started making these deep threes and the referees started putting their hands up like well it's got to be a three it's you know it's pretty far <laughs> and I just fell in love with the sport from that moment on and you know been able to commit my whole life to it so it's it's uh, I mean all these sports are so great but basketball really has something special. High school in Toronto? Correct. Okay, and, and uh, tell me about your high school days on the, on the court and, and, uh, or even off the court, and what memories do you have? Who are some of the people that really influenced you? Yeah, so we went to one of the, the sort of basketball powerhouse schools in, uh, in Toronto, in Canada. It's called Oakwood Collegiate, uh, and I was there for five years, and I really sort of, as most basketball schools are, there's sort of a group of players before you, and then there's a group that comes after you. And the group that was before me had some really great players uh, that sort of were, you know, going to Toronto City Championships and sort of, you know, it was like a, a real energy and momentum around the team and the program that I was with. Um, and I think we had really good coaching. I think that's something that, that often gets sort of um, unnoticed. And as you said earlier, there's so many Canadians now in the NBA. There's a lot of young, good coaches in Canada that are really bringing these young players up. And I was, I was blessed to, to have one of those, and a guy named Terry Thompson, who's a, you know, a, a super famous sort of Canadian high school coach. Um, and he kind of took me through my career. And the, the, the best part and ironic part, I was, I was never very good. I love the sport. I played it as hard as I could, but I was never sort of a super elite player. Um, and from there, I went on to play in Canadian University. And so I got to play at University of British Columbia, which is Vancouver. So now going to the West Coast and, and sort of crossing the country to the other side. You know, it's funny because um, I think when you fall in love with the game, you fall in love with it. I was never a good I was a, an okay high school player by the time I got to be a senior. I was the worst player in Connecticut in fr my freshman year. Uh, but it, it, um, 
I, I loved having getting into a game where I was the worst pickup game where I'm the worst guy out there. But I loved having a, having an impact to help my team win, even if it's just one stop, one rebound. That that part of the game, I think, really gets into you, it gets into your soul, doesn't it? It sure does. I mean, I think that that's why we love it. And I think for me, that ability to sort of affect change and affect the outcome of a basketball game, no matter how many points I score, was really important. And, and sort of to build leadership capacity and build momentum and sort of positive energy with the people that I was, I was with, the team that I was journeying with, like that stuff just really matters and means a lot. And I think it's a bit of a skill to do it, but it's something that's been productive for me. You said you weren't any good, but you do go to the University of British Columbia, so you're a Thunderbird. Uh, and um, I know you were there after uh, Dr. Rick Celebrini was on the soccer pitch there. But um, but you became a team captain? Yeah. So I was, I, I mean, the story that sums it up best for me is I was in my senior year uh, and we were we played for a Canada West championship, which is sort of our division championship there uh, at our home gym. Um, and we won the game. OK. And the amazing part is, is after the game, you know, they, they, they asked for the team captains to come up to, to receive the trophy. And that particular game, I hadn't played a minute in the game. Wow. And so for a lot of fans that hadn't been with us the whole season or only come because it was a big playoff game, they see this guy still in his warm-up, you know, going up to receive the trophy. And they sort of, people must have been just losing their, like, what is going on here? But I was a captain even though I didn't play a ton. Now, I will, I will say that the, the day before, the game before that, I, I played some good minutes and, and stopped one of the best players in the country. But, <laughs> but yeah. in that one, I didn't. So that's what it was. That's cool. That's really cool, though. But, again, yeah, it just shows the impact you had on your teammates and, and the way they held you in regard. So that's a, that's a great testament to you. During those times, did you know you wanted to get into coaching? So I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was training to be a, to be a high school teacher, and education was something that I really had a passion for. Um, I didn't know it would turn into coaching. I, I think I wanted to play out my you know university career as, as best as I could, and then I was going to go to teacher's college and, and probably be a high school coach. But I definitely didn't have a vision for this sort of coaching pathway for myself. How did you go what, what, after college? What happens? So I finished, and I, uh, I returned back to Toronto. Okay. Um, and so came back to Toronto, and actually one of the gentlemen I'd run that basketball program with in Africa many, many years prior, his father was the head coach at the University of Toronto. Okay. Um, so I had a relationship with him, uh, and he asked me to be on his staff. So he just sort of said, hey, would you, would you want to come and help me coach? And he knew I was a player, and he knew this passion for people that I had. And so I, we agreed to do it. So I spent four years on his staff uh, as an assistant, and that's when I really caught the coaching bug and said, hey, this is something I really like, and I really enjoyed working with the athletes, and, and it's kind of gone from there. What is the most satisfying part of this for you? Is it watching a player through maybe a suggestion or a comment, watch the player all of a sudden see what you see or see what he, they can become? To me, it's interesting, you know, and, and I, different people ask that question a lot. And I think for someone that's coaching the NBA now for a long time, you sort of you have these different moments. And, and a lot of time for me, it's actually when I'm not involved. So if you spend a lot of time with a player and you sort of work with them on some things and talk to them about some areas, and then like, you know, four games later or six games later, you don't even help, have to direct them, but you see them making that change. And you realize that you were a small part of it and you see their success based on some small little thing that you might have done to help them. And it's not a direct thing. It's not like you you know, say you, you do it and they respond right away, but it's like down the line, that how somehow feels you better, right? It's like this amazing thing because they actually learned it and they actually sort of embedded it in who they are. I, I'm, I'm curious on how you went from the University of, of Toronto to the, the Raptors and, and made that switch. Yeah, so again, another sort of um, amazing moment in my life, and I think all of us have these moments when our careers shift and, and, and move and, and, and uh, go different places. And so I was doing university coaching, but it was definitely not MBA coaching. 
And Sam Mitchell, actually, who was, who was coach of the year and a, and a great coach in Toronto, um, really just took a liking to me. And I was kind of volunteering with the organization, helping out with random little events and, and kind of being around. And he said, hey, this guy's pretty passionate and knows this kind of basketball guy. And he took me under his wing and treated me as a son and really sort of got me started on the NBA side of basketball coaching. So he, he sort of started the process for me. It then went through Jay Triano, who took over as the head coach. And he's a Canadian coach, obviously a fellow Canadian coach. And we have a great rapport uh, for that reason, but also because he's a tremendous coach. And then Dwayne Casey uh, was the final coach that really sort of pulled me across the line uh, and offered me a spot on his staff. All good people. And I was so happy for Jay during the playoffs where people pointed out that that inbounds play that Phoenix ran for, for Aiden was his play. Yes, I know. That was special. That was a lot <laughs> that was of fun. That was great. That was so cool. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, you When you start with the Raptors, were you doing things with, like, their basketball camp? Yeah, yeah, I started doing okay. community, yeah. Okay. So I was doing community program that run all their basketball camps. They had this big purple truck. They called it the Jam Van, which was not named for me, but it worked out perfectly. And uh, we travel <laughs> around the country, and, or, or the province at least, and we'd you know, pull up to a kid's birthday party or to a street festival or to a basketball camp and pull our hoops out of the back with a sound system and, and just kind of have some summertime fun using the sport of basketball. Uh, and that's actually what, in, in many ways, I look back and I think, you know, some of this stuff about, you know, 10,000 hours of work and how do you get your experience? Like a lot, I, had a, I got a lot of reps coaching in those situations and learning what works and what doesn't work, how to work with athletes. You know, it was, it was really formative time for me as a coach. You know, when you get to the point where, you know, you're on the Raptor staff and, and, you know, did you have a pinch me moment? I think the biggest one for sure was I, I so I'm, I'm. Coach Casey asked me to come to his office. I'm not on his staff yet. I've right. sort of been helping out doing off-court player development, helping the players with their families and transition and their lives. And uh, he brings me which in. Is, which is really, really important, by the way. Without people, question. People don't understand. That they think it's all great when a guy gets to the NBA. There's a lot of things that, that go on. And I, I, I swear, I've been in this a long time. I think sometimes rookies, and you'll see them, they hit this dip, and maybe it's the rookie wall, but sometimes they're just homesick. No question. No, there's a reality to <laughs> yeah. that. They're young, and they're away from home, and that, yeah. for all of us, affects you. So I was sort of doing that role for a season, and Coach Casey brings me into the office, and, and he really wants to ask my opinion on other coaches. He realizes he needs to make some changes to his staff. Right. And so he brings me in and says, hey, do you know anyone? Or, you know, what do you think? This is what I'm looking for. And he starts listing these sort of things in his mind that he developed in terms of, hey, I want this in a, in a, in a coach next season. And he talked about being super passionate with the players, uh, giving lots of energy, uh, really in love with the sport. He kind of just kept listing all these things and, and I think literally stopped midway and kind of looked at me and said, whoa. Uh, maybe would you be interested? And that was definitely a pinch me moment to sort of have an NBA head coach think of me in, in that regard and, and follow up with offering me a job, and, and then I took it. And you also spent some time in the G League with Raptors 905. So uh, your experience in, in college and then coaching in the G League, how much does that help you when you're dealing with players who are really trying to make a mark, but maybe they're not getting the playing time, the guys that you're developing, how, how, do you, does, how does that help? I think just being in the footsteps of a player, right, knowing their journey, knowing what they've been through helps you to coach them. So if you're a coach that sort of only coached at the highest level and you don't realize what a lot of players have gone through, and even my experience of that, that, that story I told you about winning the Canada West Championship and, and being on the bench for the entire game, right. like I know what it feels like to not play. And for a lot of young players, that's their reality. It's a really good league. There's a lot of good players in this league, so a lot of the young guys don't play. And so that ability to connect with them on that level, emotionally what's happening, physically what's happening, you know, in your soul what's happening, 
I think helps you to coach them more. And the G League is, is that exactly. Because we see now in the NBA, so many players come through the G League system. It's sort of a normal rites of passage. And so to have an experience for what they're going through, I think allows me to coach them better at the NBA level. And there's so many, uh, you know, late bloomers. We just have one, and, and, and I'm, I know it's going to work out for him somewhere, Michael Mulder. You know, late bloomer. Didn't play a lot of Kentucky, a Canadian kid. And you talk about impact of a coach is the – I, I, I'm convinced that Michael Mulder got better in Canada because his coach would play up. He'd take him to Detroit and play in these tournaments, and he said sometimes we didn't get we didn't do so well, but it, we played better competition, that kind of thing. So uh, yeah, I, I I really believe in the G League. I I, I spent a couple of years in the Continental Basketball Association riding vans to nowhere. Uh, so so I understand that that, and I I really empathize with those guys, the guys that are trying that hard because if you you go through something like that, you know you really want it. Uh, so is, is today a, a great day to get better? Every day is a great day to get better, <laughs> without question, right? I mean, I think you wake up in the morning, you swing your legs over the bed, and you sort of say, what can I do to get better today? And, and I think that, you know, now with my transition to the Warriors, uh, is something that I'm trying to bring each and every day to, you know, with myself, but our entire staff. And how do we look at the players we have on our roster? And it's the same process I've done for a few years now. And just find a way to make a little marginal, tiny, tiny gain in each of our athletes and each of the staff each and every day. And if we're kind of moving that direction, we're going to be hopefully successful. So that's kind of where it comes to now. So how did the process begin of you becoming a warrior? Um, I mean, so it was sort of a bit of a, a bit of a shock um, in a certain way in that, in that you sort of had been with the Raptors for many, many years. Um, and I didn't know Coach Kerr uh, at all. So there was no sort of personal connection there. Um, and as our Raptor season sort of finished up and, uh, you know, the coaching carousel starts to move a little bit like it does every year in the NBA. Um, and I get a call, you know, Ask, hey, would you like to? Would you be interested in, in listening to something from the, from the Golden State Warriors? And right away, talk, you know, look at my wife and say, the Warriors, well, absolutely, of <laughs> course. And sort of a no-brainer to say yes to that process. And then had a great meeting with Coach Kerr, and, and the process kind of continued in terms of getting with him and, and him getting to know me. Uh, and shortly thereafter, we agreed uh, to join his staff, and it's been. I mean, it's been incredible, to, to be honest, right? It is, this organization really is special. There's it, it, something unique. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've been around long enough where it wasn't special for a long time. And now it's, it's you know, one of the best in the world, not just in the NBA, one of the best in the world. Uh, you have meetings with your staff and talk about different players and what their issues and everything like that. It's a real, real kind of cohesive effort. Yeah, we, I think the biggest thing is that we all coach them all together. Right. There's not sort of a siloed system where only one coach coaches one player like we all need to. We all have expertise as coaches uh, and we all need to, to impart that and work with the players. And I think, you know, doing things in small groups and getting the guys to play basketball as much as they can. I think that's the biggest thing with development for these young players is you got to do you got to get reps at pick and roll coverages and and finding the next pass and, and making the game decisions. Right. The more game decisions you can make, the better you're going to become as a player. So that's really what we try and spend a lot of time on. One of the things I would tell my kids when they were growing up and they're now in their 20s, but uh, I would tell them, you don't know what you don't know. True. And, and for a, I, I think that's true for a lot of rookies and young players in our league. They you know, would take a case in point, James Wiseman. When he got to the Warriors, he had played three college games, right? You know, So basically you're getting a guy that's played in AAU and in high school Pretty sure there wasn't a lot of rotation drills in those in those practices. Correct. You know, so so I mean, he's 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 got like basically a binder of you know stuff that he's got to learn, almost like studying in school. No, it really is. I think I think, and it's like, and it, I say this with with earnesty, like it's the basics, right? You teach the basics, and you get 
pretty good at those, and then you start to add some nuance to it. But if you don't start with the basics and you don't get rep after rep after rep, there's no way you're going to learn it. And so I think that's an important part, you know, with this year's team with the three kind of real young players. And as you go through with J.K. and Moses and, and, and James, finding a way for them to really learn how to play the game. They're such amazing, amazing specimens and incredible skill. They just don't haven't had the reps of that, you know, an Andre or, or a, you know, an Otto have had in terms of playing the game of basketball. Yeah, I think, of course, a lot of uh, people expect kids to come into the league and, and immediately have impact. Very few do. Even the number one pick last year, Anthony Edwards, he didn't really see the light bulb go on until about halfway, two-thirds in the season, and all of a sudden he was a different player. He started, oh, he started to get a little bit, and, and he really turned it on. Uh, how do you feel about going into the season? How do you Man, feel about the dubs? Super excited. I mean, I think, you know, the, from a coaching staff perspective, we're just so thrilled, right? The team has so many weapons that we can sort of utilize and do so many different things on the floor from first unit to second unit stuff, which is kind of shooting all over the place. And then I think this sense of, you know, you know James and then Clay in terms of almost, you know, you almost get a, a, another yeah. influx of talent and, and, and skill. And, um, you know, I, I mean, to be honest, we're just thrilled with where the team is at and, and where we're going. Uh, we have a lot of work, you know, ahead of us and everyone's, everyone's batting a thousand right now. There's no one's lost a game yet. Absolutely. So it's, you know, it's sort of the, 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 the honeymoon phase of it all, but we're really excited for the group that we have. Yeah. I, I don't put a lot of stock in preseason. I don't even look at the numbers, but what I saw with the, you know, the eyeball test, the ball was moving, Guys were trying on defense. There's some work to do there, I think, with certain guys, but learning. But it just seemed like, you know, the the, the people that were brought in fit with what the Warriors love to do, and that's move the ball and, and get, get get great shots. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, if, uh, before I say goodbye, to uh, tell us a little bit about your family. Yeah, no, thanks for asking. I appreciate it. So my wife and I uh, are thrilled to come to the Bay Area. We sort of have lived you know, in Toronto, as I said, for, for a very long time. Um, and so my wife, uh, Michelle, and I have two young kids, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Oh. And so they're starting grade one and preschool your here. Your dad, the hero. Yeah, yes. it's amazing. <laughs> they get to come out and hang out with Steph Curry. Not oh, bad. Yeah. Not yeah. bad. Um, Let's go to dad's office. Exactly. <laughs> my son wants to come every day. Um, but it's been it's been a great transition for us as a family. And I think that, you know, it's it's... I I've been very blessed to go from a very good organization in the Raptors to an, to an even better one here and, and a great one in, in Golden State. So we're super thrilled. We're happy to be in the Bay. We're happy to sort of be be uh, be warriors. Trust me, you won't miss stepping in slush. You won't miss scraping a car if you have to do that anymore. You won't miss getting into an ice cold car. <laughs> you know, and there's going to be trust me. There's going to be a couple of times in, in February you're going to get off the plane and we're somewhere in the Western Conference. You go, oh. This Western Conference is not a bad deal. No, I'm telling you, I, I did look at the schedule and see the Clippers and Lakers and Phoenix, and I said, oh, boy, I'm not sure about the West, but the weather part, I, I, can't, oh, I can't question that. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. John, I, I really appreciate the conversation. Um, you know, it's, it's great to get to know you. I think you're going to be a great addition to this, you know, Warrior staff and Warriors organization, and uh, let's go. Let's get the ball up. Let's do this for real. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Good energy. Happy to be a Warrior. I want to thank Jama for his uh, contributions on the podcast today and, and uh, look forward to the first week of the regular season here as we get going. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I enjoyed it immensely, and I look forward to many more conversations with him in the years to come. I want to thank uh, James Kincaid, of course, who's handling all of our podcast duties as well as R.C. Davis. And I also want to thank our field producer and on-site engineer, and that is Michael Ravina here in L.A. I, Tim Roy, and thanks for listening to the Warriors podcast podcast.